Hi there. Um, my name is Laura and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world on tandem bicycle in 2022. Um, and this is Stoked to Be Here, a podcast where we speak to people from the world of cycling and endurance to give us some tips and tricks along the way and hopefully that you listeners will find um, useful as well. Today I'm joined by Henry Gold, who is the owner and founder of TDA Global Cycling, which is um, a company that organises tours and holidays across six continents and 80 countries, I believe. So I think I'm going to get some fantastic advice. Hi, Henry. How are you doing? (laughs) Good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Um, So how... How did this all start? Was it was it a, a case of cycling from an early age, and it was just a passion that grew, or what? What's how did you get into the world of, of cycling and adventure? No, um, you know, it, as as everything that happens to me anyway, it always seems to be convoluted. Um, so uh, yes, I cycled from an early age. I grew up in eastern Slovakia in a small small village. Um, in a village, I should say, not that small village. Uh, and I had a bicycle, um, and uh, that was my transportation as a child. Um, I emigrated twice, so uh, things changed. Um, eventually end up in in Canada and um, here uh, bicycle wasn't really part of my life I did have a bicycle during university times uh, which was stolen and uh, I did not replace it for many many years um, but um, I did I ended up um, working in my 30s and uh, I set up a, an NGO with a physician here in Canada, and I was the executive director for many years, and I, I worked in Africa, um, where um, one of the things I keep seeing is this, uh, the picture that hasn't changed in some areas to this day, is um, people carrying everything on their back, uh, particularly women. Um, and I, I as, a, as, as a person who's trying to make a difference in those, in, in different projects, I kept saying, you know, um, somebody's got to uh, set up a manufacturing of cheap bicycles for Africa. I, I thought, you know, that we could make an impact by by um, uh, bringing uh, bicycles um, for transportation purposes. Because, you know, a typical person in Africa, um, a farmer, um, could never get his product to to the to the market. I mean, the the the, the furthest the person could bring up a market would be, would be essentially carry on a horse or on their back. Um, particularly in Ethiopia, where I was working uh, most of the time, and and during the 1984 85 famine. And uh, <clears throat> so the idea of of potentially setting up a, uh, of of doing something to set up. A, in manufacturing of bicycles in Africa uh, took hold. And um, um, I met someone from Canada, from Canada who, who wanted to work with me and he had an MBA and um, we managed to get some funding. So he went to Nairobi to, to do a feasibility study. And um, when he did this, uh, after six months, it looked promising. So we started looking at marketing the product uh, the bicycle and uh, and since we had no money we had to be very creative and I came up with the concept of uh, marketing uh, through a bicycle race um, Cairo to Cape Town which is by the, by the way something similar that uh, if I recall correctly the Tour de France was created to market a newspaper yeah I um, believe it was yeah yeah so it's obviously uh, a good, <laughs> good ploy it's worked <laughs> so, so, so it, 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 it stuck in my mind somehow um, that we could use this um, and um, that's how the concept took hold um, my, my partner in the project uh, didn't want to go on he took a, a job with a consulting firm and um, I sort of put this for aside uh, temporarily um, and um, because I was busy with, with uh, running the organization and I was producing some films uh, about Africa. Um, 
but then uh, I met someone uh, here in Canada, a Dutch Canadian who was in the business uh, bicycling. I uh, was a racer, very active. I just came back from Nairobi himself, but I think he, uh, his friend was a son of one of the ministers, and he just loved the idea of doing a race across Africa. He didn't think of, he, he, he wasn't interested in manufacturing bicycles. He just wanted to do the race. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it was preposterous because in those days, uh, uh, there were sections of certain countries where you simply couldn't go. There were militarized military zones, and um, trying to go. If they let you go, to, it would be in a convoy only. Um, so um, it was a preposterous idea. Uh, nevertheless, we decided we will do it in um, 1994. I think we were looking at it, and then there was a horrendous um, terrorist attack in, in Egypt where about 40 to 50 German tourists were killed. Uh, and uh, that was one of the first ones that had such a, it had a big, big impact. So we put it aside. Um, we decided it's not gonna fly. Um, we put it aside and um, I, I kept on going with my life. He got into very serious car accident spent I think four months or six months in the hospital okay. um, so years went by until uh, until uh, literally uh, 2002 in February 2002 were kind of again uh, the start the start realigned I was all of a sudden without a project without anything um, crucial I turned 50 I wanted to do a crazy adventure I had nothing to risk um, <laughs> And uh, and I called him up and I said, Michael, are you are you interested? Um, because if if you're going to do this, this is the time to do it. Because uh, if not now, never. You know, I'm just getting old. Um, and he thought about it and he said, Okay, I'll get back to you. And he did. And he said, Let's do it. And that was February 2002. And then by January of, of 2003, we were standing from the pyramids. Um, myself uh, with my, my my partner there in at that time, and uh, and 31 other cyclists and support crews, um, very minimal support, but nevertheless we had two two large vehicles, two large trucks, um, and you know we had no idea we had no idea how how we we're gonna make it. I mean we I I had you know I knew Africa or at least some of the countries we were going through. But it wasn't scouted. There was limited information. There were these militarized zones. We had crossing, crossing uh, borders. Uh, it certainly such a large group was a complete unknown. Um, food, water was uh, for a group like that. You know, athletes, hungry athletes, uh, was a major challenge. Um, the roads. Forty percent of the time, we were completely off-road. You know, dirt roads um, that uh, had traffic, but a minimal amount of traffic. Um, so breakdown of transportation of, of bicycles, etc. Everything was uh, unknown. Um, but that's how I, I got into the business, if you wow. will, of, of cycling, and I became a and I became a convert. You know, I became a, <laughs> a zealot. <laughs> Once you get the bug, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Well and truly better. And had you done kind of much long distance cycling before that? Had you got much experience or did you just learn it as you went along? <laughs> no, I didn't. I tell you, I in, in the 90s, after I already had this idea, after we, we thought of uh, Cairo to Cape Town, and, and as I said, it, we didn't do it in 1993. I, I didn't move to Israel. Uh, where I was working again uh, in the non-for-profit area, dealing with transportation issues mainly. So I got more and more interested in bicycling as an alternative um, to the use of uh, vehicles, uh, certainly in, in the <coughs> city, city and, and small countries. And I also got involved in environmental and, and uh, peace issues in with Palestine and Israel. And um, so I was working there and, and they had a kind of a event there in Israel from top to bottom of Israel, uh, a three-day event, uh, bicycle. 
event, uh, which every year people participate at some, uh, you know, some serious cyclists and some total amateur. So um, I borrowed a mountain bike from uh, a friend. Right. And uh, I think a week or, or 10 days before that, and decided to get myself into some kind of a shape in 10 days <laughs> and, decided to, and decided to do this. Um, well, I, I quit on the second day. I was completely... <laughs> <laughs> I was completely broken. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, and and um, so that, that uh, experience stuck in my mind that, you know, I said I couldn't make it because a small country like Israel and here I'm going to go to Africa. I mean, this <laughs> felt so nuts. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it taught me, you know, failure is good because it teaches you a few lessons. Um, including if you're going to do something and prepare for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a lot in the preparation, isn't there? Um, yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> cycling through Africa, I mean, that's, you know, that's a mind blowing thing to consider for most people. And I, I know, you know, ordinarily people would be, you know, maybe worried about the dangers. I know you said about the politics and things like that, but of course, Africa is known for its wild animals as well. Um, I think people would, you know, worry, are you going to get eaten by lions? What are you going to eat? How do you find water? What What was like the biggest challenge um, in, in kind of that race? Was it, you know, getting getting food and water? Was it the roads or, or kind of any inherent dangers along the way? Um, I, I think uh, really it's the cumulative impact uh, of, of uh, going through unknown territories, don't, not having scouted, not knowing where you're going to sleep every night because yeah. we didn't, uh, we were camping all the way. Um, except, um, and even then we were camping, we were, the, the tour was set up to broke into sections and every section for roughly 10 to 14 days would end up in a big city, usually capital city. So um, that was the link. And that was a link by necessity to the next time because we need to refuel, you know, both food-wise and, and vehicle-wise and everything else. Um, but also to connect with the outside world because in those days, uh, cell phone communication uh, existed and I don't even think it existed much, two or two or three. Um, <clears throat> we had satellite phone that didn't work very well, mm. very expensive as well. Um, so communication was a, so it's just a wear and tear of these cumulative little things that add, um, uh, you know, just add on. And the unknown, as I said, the unknown every day, uh, some of the rough roads, certainly in the rainy season, uh, on a mountain bike, uh, you were much faster than the big truck. So the racers actually got there before anybody could time them. Um, so we had to, yeah. So we, we kind of had uh, honor system, and we would tell them, you know, today you're gonna go 100 and, or let's say 90 kilometers. Uh, it's a rough day. I mean, dirt road. So you're gonna go down the, the 90 kilometers. You guys are gonna, you know, we knew the the leaders. There were usually two, three, four guys in the in the front, mm. and said, and you guys just gonna time yourself. You're gonna stop and time yourself. You know, and uh, and so it was a kind of a gentleman race, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and people took it as that. You know, they took it as we are really breaking barriers and we're doing something unknown. Um, and then you know, and then they would come to ninety kilometers. The trucks weren't there, so they had nothing to do but sit and talk to the locals <laughs> and buy them stuff, cokes, and uh, and wait. Um, wait until the vehicles arrive, and, and even then, we would uh, the vehicles could say, "Well, we can't stay here because we don't have enough space for, you know, 40, 40 tents." So they they may have to end up getting back on the bike and do another five kilometers or ten kilometers, you know, until you find area. So we had that sort of a thing that was going on. Um, so, but as I said, the the, the most challenging thing was just the, the wear and tear on the body. Um, because water was minimal, um, food food at times was, yeah, I mean, you're, you're expanding so much energy. We were continuously, all of us, hungry, hungry. We were just starving. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the bars and stuff like that, we had some, but, you know, how many, how many bars can you carry with you? Meaning the vehicles, you know? It, it, it wasn't like you can just go to any little town and buy additional stuff um many many places were certainly when we went through certain section of the country like tanzania sudan ethiopia 
you know, the local shop, if you didn't like, you know, the, the, little, the little dry biscuits, there was not much else to eat. <laughs> uh, uh, so it certainly changed completely now. You know, it's not, you know, you go now to, there was no supermarket to be had in the Khartoum, capital city of Sudan in 2003. Um, you know, now there are plenty. Um, so stuff like that, electricity was a challenge in, as on the way. So, you know, you're trying to get a cold Coke. Good luck. Uh, I, <laughs> you had to drink. You had to drink what locals were drinking, which is one uh, one strong sugary tea, um, which, by the way, tastes great. But we have nothing else to drink. <laughs> yes, I bet. I bet. Yeah, and it, yeah. yeah, it makes it a real feat of um, endurance, doesn't and, it? And I think fear itself. You know, literally, there were three individuals uh, later on as we were sure to make it um, really acknowledge that they were they they thought they're coming to die they were okay. totally true type explorers they were convinced that they're not going to make it alive oh, um, wow and i and i believe them because they were crying when they were talking about it oh, you know the emotional release um and these are you know adult males who were uh, acknowledging how you know that uh, how difficult it was for them psychologically emotionally just yeah. to go on this trip because it was such a and then each one had a different fear you know some fear some feared animals are going to eat them others feel that they were going to be uh, killed by locals um, uh, terrorism you know all sorts of stuff that people uh, imagine that this was going to happen i you know i've gone I've worked in Africa for many years, so this didn't worry me. Not the animals and not, not the terrorism, not anything. I, I kept telling everybody if you if you're gonna <clears throat> if if you're gonna get hurt in Africa, it's gonna be from a driver. And yeah. I and I don't mean that in Africa. I meant you know, I, I wrote a piece here two years ago, three years ago in Toronto that I have more fear cycling in Toronto than anywhere else in, in, in the world. And of course, people people look, look at me crazy, and I said, "How can you say that?" And I would explain very easily why, because you know, Toronto has a grid of uh, <clears throat> very fast street, and sometimes you have no choice but to get on the street, and and cars are zooming by you at 40, 50 miles an hour, mm -hmm. you know, and and uh, there's no bike lanes, and um, you know, if you even do it for uh, 200 yards, you know, and you have to compete with cars going by at that speed. You have no chance if the car hits you, you're done. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's at a speed at a speed like this, you know. So often in Africa, it, it's actually better because the roads are so bad they can't go that quickly. You know, <laughs> I cycled through India, and I and and I remember a professor in the University of uh, Hebrew University, uh, transportation professor, always told me, Henry, <clears throat> nobody gets killed in traffic jams. Um, <laughs> because the because the car can go fast, you know it's the it's the infrastructure in North America in particular it was designed for cars in the cities to go fast, mm -hmm. and that's why we paid the price. The cyclists and the pedestrians pay the price. So I kept telling the, our our participants, you know, don't worry about anything else, because the the most likely statistically, if you look at the numbers, you know, for every snake bikes there. Are 10,000 people killed by cars. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, yes, yes, you could die from a snake bite, but the, the, the likelihood that if you're going to get killed, it's going to be a car accident, not nothing else. Yeah. Um, so, um, and that, that, you know, that turned out to be true. To, you know, we are now 19 years later. And um, uh, the, the most serious incidents um, that, that happened with animals was ironically to me. And it happened in India in, an, uh, in a rural area between two national parks. And as far as other incidents, yes, we had a cyclist killed in China by, by a car. Oh, you know, a, a, yeah. a driver, the driver uh, lost, had a flat tire, lost control of his vehicle. And again, on a quiet road, in the middle of nowhere, the driver was going obviously way too fast. And um, so, you know, it, it just proves what I said. Mm. And as far as, as my concern, you know, uh, it was kind of ironic because for years and years, for years and years and years, I told everybody never to worry about wild animals. And here you are. It was me <laughs> who was attacked by a wild elephant. <laughs> a wild elephant. How, a wild how elephant. Earth, did, you, did you get attacked by a wild elephant? 
Well, uh, very simply, I was cycling up a hill um, between two national parks without being informed by locals that, you know, there are actually elephants sometimes wandering through the forest. And um, I was totally innocent when an elephant came rushing from a bush and it was a narrow road, um, country road um, between, uh, between two national parks. And an elephant just charged at me. Um, you know, when I when I saw the elephant, he was running, and he would have been I don't know, ten yards maximum, fifteen yards already from me, and, and just coming oh at me. Oh my goodness! Speed. <laughs> um, so a completely uh, unprovoked, um, uh, unprovoked bite, um, attack. Mm. Um, and I'm lucky to be alive, frankly. You know, I, I was serious damage, but um, but I was spared somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my goodness. So, were you, uh, 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 yeah, there's not a lot you can do in that case, is it? I assume you were knocked off and, yeah. It's... Well, I actually wasn't knocked off because I fell before, meaning okay. I was going up the hill and uh, when I saw the elephant charging, um, I realized that my only chances of, of getting away was making a U-turn and, 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 you know, just step on it and go downhill oh you know the law of gravity but but it was a very narrow road um and trying to stay on the pavement um i i tried to make the u-turn and i was already kind of in the middle of the road uh, so i fell and when i fell um then uh, i sort of thought well if i get into the forest and zigzag between the trees then the elephant will have a hard time mm. um so I uh, I took a I, I took a interesting thought, which was I almost run in the direction of the elephant, try, trying to force him to make a sharp turn, um, and that kind of worked because I heard the uh, the elephant stepping on a bicycle. Oh. So I uh, I I thought well that 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 the tactics work. Um, now I need to make another zigzag. Uh, <clears throat> I was by then uh, in the forest. And uh, and at that instant, I felt uh, uh, something grabbing me by the ankle, and I was in the air, and it was oh. a trunk of the elephant. Oh my goodness! And I I, I was in the I was in the air, and and so the next the next idea, the next brilliant idea, was trying to go into field position. You know, this is something you heard from bear attacks in Canada, going yeah. to field position. So I I decided, well, let's try that. And the the next thought that I recall um, vividly was uh, the helmet cracking, and oh. um, and I, I and I thought, well, this is very interesting. What happens next? Um, and and then then what happened next is either deleted by the brain due to the circumstances, yeah. or I lost consciousness and uh, woke up. Uh, now I had no idea whether it was half a minute or two minutes, whatever it is. But at that point, I was lying flat on my back, and the elephant was already running away from me, uh, literally disappearing into the forest again. Um, so uh, at that point, I realized I was injured, and uh, I lay there for a minute or two, just trying to assess the situation. And then I did, you know, I have done some wilderness uh, first aid training. So then I tried to assess what's broken, what what works, what doesn't. I started moving my my toes, uh, and you know those worked. So I said, well, that's good. Uh, and then I tried <laughs> to move my fingers, my fingers, and my right hand worked fine. My left hand, my my left hand wasn't totally immobile. <clears throat> so I realized there's a problem. Um, I, I had some pain in the back, so I was afraid I had a broken back. Um, so stuff like that. Um, but um, but I pulled myself into a sitting position, and and then I realized that I was quite quite badly hurt. I could hardly see from one of the eyes. Oh my um, goodness! So uh, uh, there was a cyclist um, ahead of me, uh, and I had no idea whether she hurt. She heard the attack or what, so I just decided to yell her name two or three times. And on a third time, she responded, so she did hear me. Uh, so she must have heard either the elephant stepping on a bike or, or something, because I didn't scream, so I don't know what. To, but anyway, 
she came back. Uh, I, she was on the road. I said, "Stay on the road. <clears throat> get a phone and call an ambulance." And uh, and she kind of did that. Um, and uh, because she had her own phone, but I had the phone on the bicycle as well. Um, and uh, so she called actually the two leader who was ahead of us, and and he called the ambulance right away. And, and I was rescued, you know, took me to a big city. Uh, I had an emergency surgery um, and uh, yeah, and uh, then it took another year. I had to have another surgery, um, but I recovered. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm, and I'm, cycl I'm cycling the world. <laughs> wow, that, that, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> It's it's amazing. It's an absolutely crazy story, and you know I've I've been looking to lots of people that have cycled around the world, and sadly there's a lot of you know people that do get knocked off off bicycles by cars, um, people getting chased by dogs. But yeah, a, yeah. a wild elephant. That's that's something else entirely, isn't it? So, well, that my my <laughs> sister when when I when she heard when she heard uh, that I was. Uh, attacked by the elephant um, but she realized i was in the hospital and i was you know in stable position wrote an email uh, uh, saying you always have to be different you couldn't just fall off and break an <laughs> arm or something you have to be different than everybody else uh -huh. so there you go so kind of a black humor but uh, but it was actually they all the way through in, a, in, a, in an ambulance uh, my partner my tour leader hmm. Uh, um, was my partner in the in the training we went through rescue to um, first aid uh, training in the wilderness. So um, he was with me in the ambulance, and he was actually continuously checking, you know, my blood pressure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and for two hours, I was cracking bad jokes <laughs> to stay to, to stay conscious and to yeah. keep him relaxed and everything else. So. <laughs> And to this to this day, I I, I said I apologize for you to, for putting you through for two hours of terrible <laughs> jokes. But... Oh my goodness, that that is an incredible to, story. To, to, yeah, yeah. Wow, um, and how did how did going back to your your first um carried Cape down the the um Tour d'Afrique race? How did that go? How was it? Was everybody successful? Did everybody finish? Um, what was the kind of result of that first attempt? Well, well, we 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 finished. Um, you know, we uh, we set it up in such a way that uh, we spent hundred days cycling. And we had sort of 20 days of what we call rest days in yeah. between. So, for example, when we reached Nairobi, we had a rest day there. When we reached Arusha, we had a rest day so people could go and visit the park. Um, so um, we, uh, um, all together was a 120 day adventure. And um, there's a there's a lovely story which I like to, like to tell, which I didn't uh, tell uh, to the riders at the time. That um, on the final day, we um, uh, again we had no idea how long it was going to take it to take us to get to the to the you know, uh, line where the family and and some media was waiting for us. By then, people knew that we were doing it. Um, uh, so the media was aware of it. Um, so uh, we got to, I don't know, about 10 kilometers from Cape Town, maybe even less. And we were about an hour, an hour and a half early than we were planning. And I, I sort of panicked, you know, we we're going to get to the finish line. There was nobody there, you know, no family, no media. It's going to be terrible. So I stopped everybody and I didn't tell him why I stopped him. I said, there are some issues at the front. We're going to have to sit around here and wait. And, and I was kind of giggling to myself because people told me over and over again, you're crazy. This cannot be done. It's, it's not going to work out. You're risking your life. You know, Henry, you've, you've gone mad. You know, my friends were telling me you've gone mad. And, and uh, you know, there was all kinds of negativity before. So here I was sitting beside the road supposedly waiting for a phone call, uh, but giggling to myself. I said, couldn't be done, but now I have to make sure that everybody sits here for an hour and entertain them. You know, everybody's <laughs> restless. You know, they want to see their families and girlfriends and boyfriends and, you know, and 
people were emotional. So as I was giggling to myself, uh, you know, they were just kind of loitering around and waiting to go. Um, so we made it. Um, we had one person who fell in Sudan and got hurt, who got hurt um, and went home, Canadian guy. Uh, and we had another American guy who, who quit in Nairobi um, because um, his house in Washington was flooded and he panicked. And uh, and to this day he he wrote well he wrote an email a few years ago. To, to this day he regrets that he never finished that. Um, but um, he was a racer. He was one of the top racers. I think he went home more because he realized he wasn't wasn't going to win <laughs> and his ego was on the line um but maybe there are other reasons and maybe he was right maybe it was just a panic or maybe he was just you know it was a very difficult challenge it's a mental challenge as you well know yeah. any any physical activity is to a large extent um, a mental challenge and um, if you for whatever reason start doubting um you know um we had a, a Canadian guy who kept asking me if we are going bankrupt because he wanted to go home, but he couldn't quit by himself. That's another <laughs> ego thing. You know, I'm, 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 I was so sick and tired asking him, uh, and, I'm sorry, him asking me, how are we doing financially? How are we doing financially? <laughs> you know, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Um, and um, he was asking him because he wanted to go home. Wow. Um, you know, people people later said that you know that for, often they would they thought about quitting and going home, but uh, but then there was a peer pressure. Mm. You know, if nobody else is quitting, then I can't go by myself. You know, I can't quit. I can't look terrible like yeah. this. So, um, um, and we had a did we did have a a, a serious serious uh, car accident. Which again, the God were on our side because nobody was seriously hurt. I, when I first came to the site of the accident, I thought I thought that the cyclist was hit. There were two two cyclists. There were actually three cyclists that were hit. One wasn't hurt at all. Um, uh, another one looked like he was hurting badly, and a, and a third one was just um, the the first the person who was hurt most was literally lying on a windshield. Of the oh, car blood was coming from his mouth uh, the windshield was completely cracked the bicycle was in pieces um and when i got to the scene my first thought was he'll never walk again i was sure he had a broken neck because he landed on a windshield with his helmet on his oh, head God. i mean ima imagine the impact throw mm -hmm. him out into there and i was convinced that he'll never walk again anyway um the same evening in the hospital, the doctor <clears throat> walked out and says, uh, "No broken bones, no damage. We're going to wow. keep him overnight for we're going to keep him overnight for observation, and, and tomorrow he, you can pick him up." And and uh, and the same thing with the second guy who was also X-rayed head to toe, no internal injury, nothing. He was black and blue, bruised all over. Um, and believe it or not, a week later, they were both cycling again. So, you know, um, they finished. Obviously, they didn't do the whole thing. Yeah. Um, many of us didn't cycle every inch, which was, by the way, we did this. What we did at that time, I approached Guinness World Record and said uh, and proposed to them that we're going to do Cairo to Cape Town and first uh, human power crossing of, mm. uh, of Africa. And they accepted that. And But they gave me conditions that, uh, that anybody who's going to be Part of it will is not allowed to get into the vehicle, not even for a mile. So it has to be all human powered, and um, and um, and we did that. And uh, so um, I think eight or nine of the cyclists managed to do that, and they were the first one who established the Cairo to Cape Town record, who's then since then been broken many times. And it became a thing to do. You know, people come to us, people who are attempting, asking for advice. Um, but we were the one who established it. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that's my my claim to fame. I wasn't one of them, but but I proposed the whole thing. To yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's a massive achievement, and yeah, as you say, the conditions back then were so different and so challenging, and just being the first to prove, as you say, that you can you can do something, especially when 
everybody kind of didn't believe you could that's yeah it, you know those those first few have always got that that's kind of special achievement haven't they um and i believe kind of since then you, you still run the tour d'afrique but it's no longer a race i think it, you it's just now as as a tour as a challenge in its own right yeah it's an expedition um we now in the company um have different type of tours around the world. Uh, we we divided into expedition, adventure, touring, and now we're starting bikepacking tours. Um, and and uh, it was a race originally. It wasn't working well. As this condition got better, and the racers were making demands, it just didn't work uh, as a combination between the two. Um, you know, the racers have one, one focus and other people have a different focus and, and there was a lot of tension and complaints on both sides, etc. So we had to make a decision to go one way or another. And, um, and since I was not a racer and my original idea was to bring people to Africa and, 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 and you know, let them, let them have experience of Africa, racers, um, are racers, you know, they, they can, because you're trying to do something very fast, you don't have the opportunity to really, um, you still do some of it, but not to the same extent of, you know, enjoying the locals and, 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 and you know, it's, it's everything. If you eat fast, you know, you're not gonna enjoy the food when you eat slow, you know, you're satisfied your belly, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the same thing. You're gonna cross the country very fast. It's a tremendous achievement. You know, it's a it's a wonderful thing. I used to be uh, active. Uh, you know, in college, I played soccer for a college team, and you know, I, I enjoyed sports tremendously. I wasn't good at it, but I enjoyed it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I was you know a journeyman and everything. I tried, um, but uh, that's fine. You know, I, I was competitive in that sense, but it's, as I said, doing something as a race or a competition is a very different thing than just being in a place and, yeah. and, and take, taking the sights and, and doing whatever you can. And, and so we made a choice. And as I said, now we do different uh, things um, um, for different type of individuals, because again, we know there's so many, you know, the whole idea of exploring the world and bicycles can be enjoyed on so many different levels. And that's all we're trying to, to push, you know, come and enjoy, enjoy the places, enjoy being outdoors, enjoy the activity, um, enjoy, enjoy the people around you, the camaraderie on these trips are, are remarkable. Um, so, um, that's our approach. And a bikepacking is another way, you know, what we did about Africa, Tour de Afrique, which was unique, I think, um, was that um, we, uh, we gave people who, you know, the top athletes, people probably like yourself, you don't need support of, a, uh, like, if you, you want to do, you're going to do it. But most people will not do it. You know, you have to prepare the, the 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 ground for them. You have to provide them the security, the the confidence, the support when their bicycle breaks down, when they get sick, etc. So the average individual will never go to Africa unless there's that kind of support. And and so we created that kind of a support structure that you can still have a tremendous adventure, um, but be part of a group. And we are sort of looking at possibly doing something the same with bikepacking. Bikepacking, you know, the young people who want to go bikepacking will go bikepacking no matter what. But the people my age right now, to go bikepacking, who am I going to find, you know, who still wants to do it at my age? But I want to do it by myself. You know, I'm, you know, I, there's all kinds of challenges to go by, my, by myself. So I'm now trying to figure out a way we're going to go bikepacking. But but have minimal support, you know. Have some someone with us yeah. who has the skills, who will, uh, you know, who can help us. And and if we get into trouble, there's someone to help to call help and, and get us out of there and so on. So that's the approach. Um, we're having our first bikepacking trip this this year in Quebec City. Um, and then we have other trips coming up. You know, there are so-called uh, touring trips. Uh, we're going to be first time ever for me. Anyway, and for us going to Southern USA, a two-month long trip coming up in September. Um, we have a kind of a touring trips in, in, uh, on the east coast of Canada and the west coast of Canada. And then we have the expedition coming up, the Tour de Afrique again in January. 
we have this amazing two epics, North, North American epic and South American epic, wow. believe it or not, five and a half months on a bicycle. Boy, if you ever have a desire to get away from it, this is it. <laughs> this is the way to do it. Um, wonderful trip. <laughs> wonderful trips. Um, you know, we have other trips in Transoceania and European, lots of European trips for the more traditional approaches to touring. Um, again, we were the first one who designed a trip uh, across Europe, to my shock and surprise, people were always doing it by themselves. But, and there were a lot of, you know, 10 days holiday or five days holiday in Europe. So many of them. But to my shock and surprise, there wasn't a trip that covered, you know, Europe, East, West, Northeast, whatever, you know, that you cross boundaries, you go through borders. Um, and it puzzled me. It puzzled me there was no trip between Canada and U.S. that crossed borders, you know, the so-called friendly border. Yeah. Um, I could never understand why. So anyway, that's where we broke new ground. We said, oh, why be intimidated? What's the, what do you worry about, you know? So um, that's where we became specialists. And in fact, New York Times called us, you know, the, the, long, the leading long-distance uh, cycling operator. That's our specialty. That's what we're good at. Um, sometimes I joke around that we are actually a logistic company that happens to be cycling because we are able to solve the problems that, that are needed in order to do this sort of thing. And most cycling companies, touring companies, uh, are intimidated by this sort of thing. We also have to have a geopolitical knowledge, you know, what's doable, what's not doable, how to get through borders, how to uh, get through when some officials decided that you shouldn't be doing this and, you know, he's going to, his authority is more important than anything else. So how are you going to deal with those individuals and so on? And that's what we specialize in, you know, that's what we, uh, we know how to deal with and, and, uh, and we get through somehow. Yeah, that's... and every day is a challenge. And if you're <laughs> gonna do those trips, and if you do it individually, you know this. You know you're gonna face those things. Yeah, yeah. And 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 again, you're gonna have to figure it out by yourself um, how to do it. Um, for an individual, it's different because you know you don't have the whole group depending on you. It's one thing, you know, as an individual, you can also figure things easier, you know, than a group of 30, 40, 50 people. You know, you can't sneak around, the, <clears throat> I don't know, an obstacle with 40 people. You could do it by yourself, you know, but uh, much more difficult. Anyway, that's our company. I'd be very proud of what we do. We have great fun. Um, and we have international participants from all over the world because of this. Yeah, and I think um, that's, the, you know, it's a really standout point, isn't it? It's just the breadth of, of what you cover. It's not just, you know, one continent. It's, it's literally worldwide, isn't it? And I think it's really, really interesting there that you, um, you know, you talk about like the different levels of support you, you provide. And I would assume, do you have, what sort of people come on your trips? Is it is it old people, young people, or is it a complete mix? Is it professionals, people taking time out from their work? Um, or does it just open it up to anybody that wants to explore the world on a bicycle? Um, well, in, in general, absolutely. We are trying to uh, encourage participants of all level. And, and that happens on expedition trips in particular, that we get the younger crowds and we get uh, literally people 70, even oh, plus. Yeah. Um, and one of the most enjoyable things for me to watch on those trips is that a young person who will generally, unless they're talking to their grandpas and their grandmas, um, don't don't really spend much time with older people. They don't make friends with older people. Um, I, and and what happened on this trip is actually exactly opposite. My 17-year-old niece came with me on on trip. Now she's not 17; she's 24. Um, but she came on a trip uh, when we did through Indonesia and Australia. And she became a very good friend with one of the riders who was, I think, in his late 60s. And, um, and uh, he was taking care of her. He was supporting her and so on. <laughs> and it was so nice, so lovely to watch, you know, from both sides. Um, me and her were not getting along very well. And, and so she had another friend, uh, yeah. you know, who was kind of keeping an eye on her. But you see that kind of a camaraderie because... You depend on each other. You know, you could be a young one and get a flat tire and your pump is not working. And then an old guy who's very slow comes by and he says, oh, come on, I'll help you. I'll do it for you. And, you know, and the discussion evolves. The next thing, you know, uh, 
there's all kinds of things that are revealed about each other and, and, and you know you enjoy your company each other company so on the expedition tour that happens a lot on the classical touring trips that you know we are more expensive where we are staying in hotels um, in Europe for example younger people um, don't show up as much because they first of all they can do it themselves um, but there are other reasons um, that they don't come up so depending on a on a on a trip and a tour um, you know we get different uh, different countries coming so for example in europe we won't get many europeans participating in european trips mm -hmm. um, and so uh, on the other hand uh, as i said the expedition get get cross sections from everybody um, and that's really, for me, as I said, it's part of the joy because it, it really, uh, again, for me, I'm always interested to know about people from where they come from, what they do, and so on. So having that sort of a range of participants just adds, adds to the joy of the trip. Yeah, yeah, and I bet, um, you know, people come away with so much experience, new friends, and, and you know, having learned a lot from each other as well. And do you find people then uh, more able to go like on their own trips does it give them more confidence to maybe you know go out and go camping uh, on the bicycle absolutely um, um one of the most interesting thing i think that happened when people come on a on a um on an expedition trip then realize yeah i can do this by myself i don't need you anymore and they go with you know we never see them again they go around <laughs> uh, uh, the best story the most classical story um is a South Afri African woman who came with us, uh, I think it was our fourth trip across Af Africa. And she was the first woman who actually did what we called every EFI on the second, <laughs> the so-called the so-called beginner's approach, you know, that you cycle every every inch of it. So she was the first one on Tour de Africa who actually did this. Um not a young woman, she was would have been in her forties. Uh, <clears throat> and um but two years later, I got an email from her uh, saying I sold my business and I'm, I'm um, cycling around the world. And I believe she hasn't stopped. She's written a book or two. Oh, and, wow. uh, and so that's the most classical case. But we have yeah. had people, again, what happens on these expedition trips is very interesting. Everything from mar marriages breaking down and new marriages are established. <laughs> oh, goodness. New, new, new relationship, but people making a life changes. People come and yeah. uh, decide I'm, I'm getting out, of, I'm selling my business or I'm getting out of my partnership. You know, I had enough or I don't want to do this anymore. Um, to all kinds of resolution people make. Um, one, of, one of my most enjoyable stories is a, is a French Canadian guy from Quebec who, um, who came on a trip and he was uh, being interviewed by a local uh, media. Um, and he was just mentioning how the, the tour to Africa changed him. And, and the reporter asked him, so give me an example. Well, he said, well, you know, before I went to Africa, I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go on this trip, and then when I come back, I'm gonna. The reporter asked him, so what what actually changed? And he said, well, um, I thought that you know I'm spending a lot of money on myself and uh, being to Africa, and then I'm gonna come back and spend a lot of money on fixing my home, particularly the bathroom. Um, I need to fix it up and spend uh, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars on remodeling the bathroom. And, and and so she so what happened? Well, I came home. I took a look at the bathroom. I said, the bathroom is just fine the way it is. I'm not spending it. <laughs> um, and and yeah, this is changing because you then you change your priorities. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, you realize you know what I can enjoy myself by spending fifteen thousand dollars on another adventure and other things rather than you know and then spending it on, on changing my bathtub and my toilet seat <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and, and and yeah and that's exactly what happened on those trips you know you just realize um what's more important to you and what's not yeah definitely um and yeah you've how how do you choose the routes i mean you've got the whole world to choose from how do you how do you choose where to go and what roads to follow you've obviously got a lot of experience traveling but you know it's it must be um a massive an exciting task 
Um, well, that's the most part, you know, trying to figure out what uh, what you want to do and and uh, where you want to go. So you you know you do everything that you think is going to be of interest to people, and and but you got to sort of give yourself. You're going to go across the country, you know. You can't do too many zigzags. Yeah. So you got to kind of decide what's what's most interesting and what's doable and what are the obstacles and and so on. So in some places you don't really have much of a choice. You know, going through Africa the first time was Cairo to Cape Town. There were not that many choices to go through. You know, there were very few roads, and and you had a few choices to go through. And often if you wanted to go a different way, you had to add, you know, several days, and then just wasn't practical uh, because you know time is limited to how much how much can you go. Um, and other times you have to make difficult choices between something very uh, iconic to see and, and and then you decide well we're going to go there in spite of everything you know, because I want to go to big falls, big falls. If I'm coming to Africa, I'm going to go to big falls. You know, yeah. gotta see big falls. Um, same thing perhaps you know you got to go through. Uh, close to national parks so that you can go on a safari. You've never been to Africa, you gotta go to a safari. Yeah. So you're gonna make sure, okay, I'm gonna take the, this route rather than the other route. Um, so that those are the choices you make. Um, but you're also trying to look at the perspective of the person who's never been to these places. What would they like to see? You know, what's, what's of interest? Uh, how 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 can you keep them motivated and focused and so on? So, um, but yeah, you know, you're limited. Often the practical aspects, you know, you can't go that route because there's no border crossing. Yeah. As much as you would like yeah. to go, there's no official border crossing, so you don't have a choice. Mm. You know, so certain things are limited by the reality, and and um, you know, and the knowledge you accumulate, what's doable and what's not doable. Sometimes we go through certain things and we actually have to work with the local authorities to get special permits to go through this. You know, okay. as an individual, it'd be very difficult to do, but as a group, we negotiate. We sometimes we start way ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. We negotiate and um, and they help us. Um, sometimes it's the contact, you know, the reason Tour de Afrique happened, to be very, very frank, the first Tour de Afrique happened is because of my work in Africa. Mm. If I didn't if I didn't have the credibility of being there and helping these some of these countries and having the right people that helped me get the permits, without them, I, we wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. It would not have happened. So, you know, you ask how I got involved in this and I, and I said, you know, sometimes in life, um, you do certain things that you have no idea how it's gonna be useful, you know, and, and later on, um, mm -hmm. and that's what happened. I, I literally got permits to go through those military areas and, and some of the difficult spots by contacting my, my, my old friend. And I said, remember me? I need help. <laughs> I, need help to, I, hel I need help to get permits for this. And, and believe it or not, I got, I got emails back saying, Henry, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, you know, and and how many, how many, you know? So what? How how often does that happen, right, in life, where somebody says to you something like this? That sounds completely crazy. You're gonna get me permit to cycle through militarized zone? Yeah. You know, and that's what happened. That's what happened in northern Kenya. That's what happened in Egypt. That's what happened in Ethiopia. To this day, in, in some of these countries, Egypt, you have to go, you can only go to a con with a convoy. And we go year after year by ourselves. Wow. And I said by ourselves, I don't mean as a group, you know, we go at the pace. Everybody gets up in the morning, eats their breakfast, packs their stuff, puts, puts it in a vehicle, and then they take off. Some, some go, some, some are, you know, can't wait. So they don't even eat breakfast, they just go or they grab put something in their pocket and another, like me, spend another half an hour loitering around before we get going, you know? So uh, the, the, the spread between the cyclists can be 20, 30, 40 miles, you know, as we go. So it's not like we are bunched together as a peloton and going to place <laughs> yeah. and easy to keep an eye on. Um, and yet, you know, we managed to do it. They allow us to do this. And and uh, and we have had, by the way, cyclists in Africa, foreign cyclists, who wait for us to join us to go through this because they are not allowed to do by the side. Yeah. <laughs> so there have been there have been cases like people like that who literally plan. They look at our schedule and try to time themselves so they can <laughs> uh, they they can join us and they come sort of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's kind of 
can ask the tool leader, can, can, can I cycle with you for a day or two? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the, the other thing that's nice on this, again, these expedition trips in particular is that is, um, how should I put it? You know, the, the type of people that show up. So we have, you know, you, you have very wealthy people who mm. all of a sudden are sleeping in tents right beside you. Uh, and, yeah. you have the, and, and you have the factory workers who have saved for years and years and years and are coming on this trip. And, oh, wow. and again, and again, that's nice because you know a typical wealthy yeah. people does does not mix with factory workers unless it's his own factory, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it was designed in such a way, egalitarian way. So, for example, on expedition, we we uh, set up a routine where every few days, two or three people wash the big pots that we cook in. Yeah, we prepare the dinner and we do everything, but we yeah. and there are some wealthy people who say I have never w washed a pot in my life. <laughs> well, I look, I I look at them and I say, well, guess what? You're gonna wash your pot. And he said, no way. And I said, well, yes, you will. Are you not eating? Because that's the part of being part of this team. You know, it's it's the group behavior. It's the expedition behavior. You want to be part of this team. You're gonna do it. And they look at me, they're very unhappy, they complain, they <laughs> go away. Sometimes they pay money to someone to go and take their turn. And it, if, if we find out that that happened, we just say, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, it's part of the design. I know people don't like it, but it's part of keeping that group cohesive and sort of egalitarian if you will and then you know it works yeah yeah and it's all yeah it's all got to be the teamwork isn't it and yeah and this, uh, this yeah. group works together it's um it's not going to work yeah. out no it's it sounds amazing I and mean, yeah to have such a mix of, of people as well i think um is, is a real benefit too um so as you say visas and getting cross borders that's obviously one big challenge is one of the big challenges I think we'll face as well but what what do you think will be like our, our big challenges kind of on our trip um traveling around the world on on a tandem with with just the two of us you know we're kind of used to the cycling and the camping but we've kind of ridden in in, in Europe quite a bit but not really beyond what what do you think um is going to challenge us to well i think the the, the the mental challenge is the most difficult always mm. always you know you're going to have windy day rainy day bicycle breakdowns and uh, you know two people each one has a different reaction to it <laughs> so you know um, uh, ideal the, the best team always is when one is down the other one picks up you know and carries the the attitude uh you know my my uh, i my business partner didn't work out in philadelphia you know the company we set up but I always give him credit that when I had these bad days initially, when we thought we're stuck, this is not going to happen. Uh, and he was lazy and he was, you know, all sorts of challenges. But whenever he saw that I'm done, that I'm not willing to carry this anymore, then he realized, okay, now I got to pull my socks. I'm going to do it. And it was three or four or five occasions. But without him, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened because, you know, you need that kind of a support. In, in in crucial time mm. so um you know this is this is a sort of a thing that you have to pay attention to your partner and he has to pay attention to you yeah, yeah. and 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 when the things get going you know when you know the, the cliche when the going the going gets tough the tough get going <laughs> yes. that's that's when you have to you know more more than anything else that's the biggest challenge because the tough you know you're gonna have all sorts of unexpected things yeah. um and and the only way to prepare for them is to know they're coming mm. and and to see to watch you know work as a team in those situations and help each other and, and get through it and it works you know it always happens on every team you know you're gonna have a bad day um and and at that time that's when you need particularly more physical support too but moral support is always the key you know it's always attitude it's always attitude and that's gonna you know you've been on a bicycle for six hours eight hours ten twelve hours your body aches and and all of a sudden something happens and and you know and what you need right now is to figure out okay dig in deep <laughs> no that's that's great advice and yeah hopefully we will be supporting each other all the way around but yeah i think you, you're dead right the um the mental challenge my, my, is is the one 
my other piece of advice that I always tell people, again, you're going to around foreign countries, foreign places, you get yourself into trouble. Uh, <clears throat> and at the end, you know, you, the only way you get yourself out of trouble is by local support. Yeah. Meaning, um, meaning uh, local people are, we have fears of unknown, we have people, fear of people we don't know. But the truth is that, um, nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of 100, the local people will help you. Yeah. You know, they're supportive, they're interested, they're, they look at you, they, you, you're vulnerable, they know you're vulnerable. You're on a bicycle, <laughs> by definition, you're vulnerable. Yeah. You look tired, you are dirty, you're smelly, <laughs> you're hungry. And guess what? That's when the local people say, yeah, you know, there are these people. I always say there are angels yeah. all over the world. You have no idea the angels, but whenever you need them, all of a sudden they show up. And I always give example. It happens to me how I think. God knows how that happened, but that angel showed up. He was a human being. He looked like a human being, but <laughs> but I'm convinced he was an angel. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think again that's another piece of advice I tell people: do not be afraid. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be robbed or something, you know, somewhere else. You know, this happens. This happens. But but generally, majority of people are actually opposite. They go out of their way to help you. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I've heard from anybody I've spoken that's, that's traveled further afield is that, yeah, people are people are good and people will want to help. And, yeah, you know, we should um, make use of that where we can. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's a very reassuring thought. And I think one of the things we're most excited about is, is going to um, meet a lot of, of humanity, essentially. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> just before we finish off, because I won't keep you much, much longer, but I've got some tandem trivia questions for you. So the first one is, okay. <laughs> have you ever ridden a tandem? Um, if I did, it would have been like for two minutes. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't recall. I'm trying to think if I did or not. Um, but it would have been only trying, you know, yeah, yeah. we had some tandems on our trip. So it would have only been trying to, but I, I don't think so. I may have sat on it, but I don't actually think I actually went yeah, with a yeah. partner. Um, and say you were to ride a tandem and you could ride a tandem with Anybody in the world, they could be alive, dead, famous, not. Who would you who would you choose to ride a tandem with? <laughs> who would I choose to ride a tandem with? Um, I'm trying. I don't know. I, 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 it's, a, it's a hard question. Probably someone who is a good storyteller. Yeah, yeah. We've had people um, <laughs> pick comedians and things like that before. So somebody uh, with a bit of entertainment. Yeah, yeah probably someone. I mean, you know, the important yeah. thing is to share. Someone you, 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 feel, you feel sharing things with. I, I, I can't think <laughs> at this point who I would yeah, do it with. Um, and I think you can probably... Um, Imagine yeah. as well, there's quite a, a difference to being on the front, being in control of the steering and the brakes and things like that, or, or to, to be on the back. And, um, you know, they, they often say you've got your feet up on the back, which I can assure you is not the case. But do you think you'd, you'd want to be on, on the, the front or the back? <laughs> you know, um, it's an interesting question. I, I, ideally, I would like to switch. <laughs> do a bit of both. <laughs> that's a great answer <laughs> yeah do about i i i i think that's the most important thing again part of sharing part of experiencing things from both sides very important to me um i i would always if if feasible i would try to not even have a routine but just have, just be able to oh, to share the feeling yeah no that's a great answer um and then we often say the tandem we're, we're joined by the frame to each other so it's like we're inseparable if you're um if you're out on one of these these tours these expeditions um and you're riding your bike is there anything that you're inseparable to be it like is there a type of food you always take do you always have to have your coffee in the morning or is there a bit of kit is there something that you would always take with you on a bike trip as a maybe a bit of a luxury or a bit of a necessity For me, no. I I always buy local, what's available. I like to store by the stop by local stand. I like fruits a lot, so they're usually yeah. available everywhere. I like diff I, I like different nuts. So again, often in season they're available. Um, 
So I, I, I do that a lot. I like trying local drinks. So again, I like to stop everywhere and, and you know, you can't do that if you're racing or if you're doing stuff. So, but I, my approach is always go local as much as possible for many reasons. One, it's fresh. Two, it's probably not going to get you sick because it's fresh. Um, three, because I like to experiment, experience something different. Um, so to me, it's always important. And as I said, most likely, again, food-wise, people get sick on this trip. My advice is you come to a place, um, ideally see which is the most popular place people are going, locals are going. If they're going there, there's a reason they're going there because it's probably enjoyable, because it's probably fresh. Um, and, you know, hygienically it may not look appealing to you, but it's probably the best place <laughs> not to get sick. No, that's, that's another great, great tip as well. One last question, if I may. Why should we cycle around the world on a tandem bicycle? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's amazing. And um, yeah, thank you so much for, for all the advice, Henry. You've been a, a real inspiration and I'm sure I could hear you talk about all your amazing trips all day. Um, that yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Ple pleasure is mine and keep us posted. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, pro post this, but we'll post your progress as well. Oh, that'd be fantastic. And yeah, hopefully when we're we're done with all this um, record-breaking nonsense. We might come on holiday with you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>